So Jesus says to his disciples, Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. How this works out for us is the subject of this morning's message. Let us bow in a word of prayer. Mighty God, again, we thank you and we praise you for the hope that comes to us as the Spirit enlightens us anew to the truth regarding the death and the resurrection of Jesus, and how there is victory in that resurrection and life that would become ours eternal. Father, we pray today that you will instill again in our hearts this wonderful and precious, profound truth, not leaving us to ourselves and anything that we would do, or left to ourselves, we will certainly bring it all to destruction. In this we pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Brothers and sisters in Christ, grace, mercy, peace from God our Father and our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. So last Sunday... Surprisingly for a lot of people, at 6.30 a.m., I rose up, picked up my phone, and sent out a text to pretty much everybody on my contact list within my phone catalog. And in their text, there were three words. He is risen. Now, did you do that last week? If I say to you, he is risen, you say, all right, say it again, he is risen. Okay, That's what I got on the phone over and over and over again, except in one instance, there was an addition. And that addition was the word, hallelujah. He is risen. Indeed, hallelujah. Can you say that? He is risen indeed, hallelujah. Now, why that struck me, I don't really know. But I got a sense out of that, that he or she, I don't remember who it was, had something of an extended, deeper sense of what those words meant than the traditional of the give and the take that we just went through. Because, you know, tradition can get in our way, right? We we do things so often under certain circumstances because that's always what we do. And so Easter comes along, and the first thing the pastor does is he stands up and he says, He is risen, and the congregation responds, 
He is risen indeed. Hallelujah. And, and, and it concerns me that the power of those words is lost because of the traditional expectation that that is what is going to go down. It's, 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 it's sort of kind of like when I was a youngster and I would, I, would, I would sit in the pew alongside of my parents and wait for the service to start. And when the pastor said, stand up and went into the liturgy, I went through that liturgy with him lickety-split without ever opening the book. And I sat in there one morning hour and it came to me, all right, your mouth is engaged, but is your heart? Because it's so easy to let the tongue wag and the mouth work, but it never gets to the place where it has the power and the meaning that God intends for it to have in our lives. Jesus is risen. That is no small thing, right? I mean, that is the most powerful three words in the English language and in any other language for that matter because they speak of a truth that moves us from darkness to light, from death to life, from despair to hope. And there is no other person who can do that for us. And what we're going to look at today is that without him, without him alive, we are in a world of hurt. Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 15, if there is no resurrection, then we are the most to be pitied. But when we get into our text this morning, we're going to realize that initially his followers didn't believe that was what in front of them. They didn't believe it. Luke says they thought it was an idle tale. Peter and John in the Gospel of St. John, they, they simply went home. There's one for you. They went home. I don't know. To have breakfast? To, to watch a ball game? I don't know. They went home. Seems to me in my simple way of kind of thinking and working through things, if you looked into the tomb and the one who had been buried there, was no longer there, and a woman came to you and said, I have seen him, you might be excited. Amen? You wouldn't go home. You wouldn't. But they went home. 
It gets even worse than that. When evening came, says our gospel text for today, they gathered together in a room and they barred the door behind them in that room. And it says they did that for fear of the Jews. What does that mean? That means that they believed that their master, their teacher, their Rabboni was dead. And that they somehow were next. That doesn't sound like 10 individuals who had come to the full realization that Jesus was alive. Amen? It, it, it just doesn't sound like that. It sounds just the opposite of that. The most we can get out of this is basically they believed what they didn't believe. And so they opted for the reasonable side of things. No one is ever raised from the dead. So he had to be dead. And they needed to bar the door so that no one could get in and take them and do the same thing to them that he, that they had seen being done to him. Go back for a moment. I read something this week that was very interesting to me, and you know it was very logical. I just didn't didn't uh, didn't really haven't really pondered it before. The women go to the tomb, and 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 their conversation is about who's going to roll the stone away, right? Who's going to roll the stone away? They needed the stone rolled away so they could what? They could get in. The stone was not rolled away so that the risen Lord would get out. Think about that. Think about that. There is no barrier that can hold the risen Savior. No barrier. Nothing. No rock, as large as it might be, cannot hold him in. He will push his way, he will burst his way right through that rock. And that's what Jesus did, coming out of the tomb. He walked through the rock. It's also true according to the Gospel of St. John in this chapter that we are reading today, that he walked through a door to get into a room. He walked out of one tomb and he walked into another tomb. Now let me describe to you what I mean by tomb here. What I mean by tomb here is what the disciples had done. They had created for themselves a tomb, a protective tomb. 
a place to be where hopefully, prayerfully, no one could come in and take them out. In that tomb, those ten individuals are suffering from a cognitive mess, to coin a phrase from nowadays. A cognitive mess. They are in panic for fear of the Jews. And this panic has paralyzed them. They are petrified of what might happen. Now, I looked up the word petrified late last night or early this morning, whichever way you want to look at it. Because that word rolled into my head as I was laying in my bed last night. So I looked up the word petrified. Petrified means that something that is organic, meaning living in nature, becomes like stone. That's what petrified means. So tree branches can become petrified. They look like stone. The disciples, organic matter, in their own way spiritually, became like stone. Petrified. They could not move. Not just for fear of the Jews, but also for fear of having to live out their days now dealing with their guilt and with their shame. Because what had they done? When the going got rough, they did what? They ran, right? They lit out. And it wasn't organized. One went that way, one went this way, one went another way. Everyone went their own way to their own homes. <laughs> and there they hid in solace until called together into that place where that door was locked. Guilt. Shame. Peter and his denial. They were sinners. They failed the Savior. And they just couldn't get past it. And so they panicked. My, what is my life going to be like now? Look what I have done. Look what I have done. Jesus busts through that door, stands in front of them and says, peace be with you. And then he showed them his hands and his side. Peace be with you. Be healed. Be whole. Find confidence in now this fact that not being dead but alive, I am with you. And because I am with you, nothing can snatch you out of my hand. 
Not even death. Oh, death, where are you? Oh, death, where is your sting? Asks Paul to Timothy in his first letter. Not even death any longer has a hold on us. And what Jesus did in that moment was break the stone and bring life back into those tanned, panicking, cognitively messed up individuals. It's very much like we read in the 37th chapter of Ezekiel. You know what's in that chapter? The Lord comes to Ezekiel and he takes him to a valley. And in that valley are all of these bones. And the bones are very, very dry. And the Lord says to Ezekiel, Can these bones live? And the Lord, and Ezekiel says to the Lord, You know. I don't know. You know. And so they go through this process wherein Ezekiel, in the name of the Lord, calls out these bones and they come together. But they have no life in them. And so the Lord says to Ezekiel, breathe on them. And so Ezekiel breathed on them. That's rock. He breathed on them. In sort of the same way that, that the Creator breathed into the nostrils of Adam the breath of life. He breathed into these bones the breath of life. A little further down, it is noted that these are the people of Israel, and the people of Israel are saying, we are lost, we are without hope, we are cut off. When Jesus comes into that room and says, peace be with you, the disciples who were cut off are no longer cut off, who were without hope, have now hope, who were concerned about what the next moment or the next day or the next month or the next year was going to look like. They needed to worry about none of that. There was no anxiety anymore about anything because they had Jesus with them on their side. And who is Jesus? Jesus is the conquering lamb. Jesus is the victorious one. Jesus is the one that death could not hold. Jesus is the one who now says to all who will believe in him, fear not for I am with you and you will receive from me and through me everything that you need to live out your life in hope. 
until such time as the hymn says, either he returns or we are called to our real home in heaven. That's just part of it. Again, he says, peace be with you. And he breathes on them. That word again. Breathes on them. This life-giving breath. Receive the Holy Spirit. See? Without the breath, the bones were alive, but they weren't really alive. It was the breath that gave them real life. It is the Spirit that gives us a life because it is the Spirit who shows us who Jesus is and what it is that Jesus has done and how it is Jesus has forgiven us our sins and now calls us out to proclaim, be proclaimers of that forgiveness to others. We were in a Missouri Lutheran church uh, a couple of weeks ago. And after five years of being there, they got a new pastor. And the new pastor actually said, Mr. and Mrs. Smith, you can partake of communion with us. Praise God. Wasn't always that way. But there is something that, that irks me about what the pastor does in that service. When the confession is over with and it comes to the time of the absolution, the pastor says, by the authority that has been given to me, I forgive you all your sins. No, he doesn't. No, he doesn't. There's only one. One who can forgive sins. And that is the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. No one else can forgive sins. That's why they went after him, those Jewish leaders. Because he dared to forgive somebody's sins. And only God can forgive sins. So if Jesus forgives sins then what Jesus was doing was he was declaring that he was who? God. Can't do that. That's blasphemy. So God bless him, this pastor in this Missouri church. He's blaspheming. Doesn't know it, and I'm not going to tell him. Well, I should tell him, I guess. He's he's not going to listen. I may never get communion again. But the truth is the truth. This does not mean when it says the sins that you forgive are forgiven and those that you are retained are retained. This is not to say that all of a sudden we have been given the authority to forgive people's sins or retain those sins. I'm sure that's where he got his justification for what he says. 
but nowhere else in Scripture is that indicated. What is indicated otherwise is, since God is the only one who can forgive sins, then the most I can do is declare or proclaim that sins are forgiven. And that in and of itself is important. If you're talking to somebody who's struggling with their with their life and, and the burden and the weight of their sin, you can say to them, not I forgive you, but I know someone who can. I know who can forgive you your sin. And his name is Jesus. All you got to do, pour him out. Lay him down at the foot of his cross and he will take them upon himself and he will bear chastisement for them, beating for them. As it speaks of in Isaiah 53, he will do all of that for your sake to squelch the wrath of God and bring forth the love that will lift you up and give you new life in him. Folks that are carrying their sin are no different than the disciples in that upper room barred there in their own self-made tomb. And that's, that's not just true of sins. It, it's, it's true of fear of dying. It, 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 it's true of, 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 of how I oftentimes begin to feel and have to step back and say, Lord, you know, I, I'm handing this over to you when I, when I, when I watch the news. You know, I mean, that, that, that can bring you into panic. No time in my life have we been as close to nuclear annihilation as we are now. I got to be honest, I, 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 I don't care about that for myself because, because I'm old. But, 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 but I, I am, Belinda. But, my grandchildren, I'd like them to have some life. But absent of that, I have come to that place where my goal in life, based upon what has happened here, how he busted in so that I could bust out, right? You who were in could now be busted out we can go to our children and our grandchildren and make sure that they have this connection with Jesus, that they have this relationship with Jesus. I believe that evangelism begins where? At home. What good is it to go to the stranger if you haven't dealt with those who are closest to you first? Before Jesus went out to the rest of the world, he went into this room with his disciples. That's who he reached first. And then he said to them, get out of here. By the power of the Holy Spirit, I am sending you out to forgive people, to call them to faith, to direct them in the way of a life that is eternal. That's the joy of knowing Jesus. Even though the world doesn't think so, 
even though the left, I never use this word again, but even though the left thinks it's poppycock, and that probably just not the left, but also many on the right as well. I saw a survey, a poll done the other day. Only 39% of those polled thought church was very important. How can you sustain and grow in a relationship with Jesus Christ if you're not in his presence? If you are not hearing his word preached and partaking of his sacrament, how is it that you can know him without any question or doubt? Those who refer to themselves as Christians need to be inside so that they can be challenged to go outside, to live a life that is full and complete and whole in Jesus Christ. That's where peace is. Peace is in living with and in and through Jesus having that relationship with him that grows day by day as that spirit works in us every day. And when we find ourselves building walls around us and putting doors out, creating tombs for ourselves, we remember that that's not where God wants us. He doesn't want us afraid He doesn't want us in panic. He doesn't want us worrying day by day. He wants us alive and well and out in the world proclaiming his good news. I was dead, but now I am alive. I have conquered sin. I have conquered death. I have conquered the devil. The victory is mine. Victory is mine. And that victory belongs to you. This is what we believe. Even though we haven't seen him, we honor him. Even though we have not been literally in his presence, we have that connection with him. And we are blessed in him. And that peace of God, that that calmness, that 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 harmony between us and him that becomes our lifeline beyond our hope it becomes our lifeline that leads to everlasting and so now may that peace of god which passes all human understanding. Guard and keep your hearts and your mind in Christ Jesus. Amen? Thank you so much. Mm -hmm.